I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Indie Football Podcast. I'm Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent. And as ever, I'm flanked by uh, two of my most faithful legionnaires. Uh, It doesn't really make sense, does it? Uh, Jonathan Liu, Chief Sports Writer of The Independent, say hello. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. Isn't Legionnaires a disease? <laughs> More, I mean, that's what, like, you know, the modern, like, millennial sort of thing is. However, back in the day, in the Roman times, these Legionnaires were, they were the most important soldiers of them all. They led literally legions of men um, into battle. And, uh, you know, being Romans, they won. They conquered Britain, lest I uh, forget. Um, speaking of which... Yep. <laughs> Seems. The, the Irish never quite conquered Britain, uh, but Miguel is trying his hardest. So, uh, Miguel Delaney, <laughs> Chief Football Writer of the Independent. Hey. Miguel, how are you? Good, all right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, big day for you today. Is it? Um, missing five aside to go to a press conference. Talk us through Two that press conferences, actually. Two yeah. press conferences. Chelsea Barcelona. Yeah. Um, you're excited for Chelsea Barca, presumably on a number of levels. Chelsea, a club you cover regularly. Barcelona, a club you've covered a lot over the years. And, uh, and just Bar- Barca are kind of like, they essentially are to modern football what Real Madrid were in the 50s, Brazil were in the 70s. That's what they've become, isn't it? They're a team that kind of s- semi-defined this generation. Yeah. Um, Preston North End in the, the 1890s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, you know, the real invincibles, as I call them. Mm. Um, so we will get on to Chelsea Barca. We will get on to Bayern Munich for Schicktas, probably a little bit less. Uh, we'll get on to Sevilla Man United. Oh, we've got a competition for you. That sounds interesting. Better keep listening. Uh, and we'll also have a little review of this weekend's FA Cup. And you know what? We should talk about last week's Champions League because I thought it was quite good. So where would you like to start? Would you like to start at Spotland? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you watched a, a bunch of this. I, I, watched, uh, I watched the Rochdale game yesterday. It was all right. Spurs were quite bad. Proper, proper FA Cup game, though, isn't it? I mean, what, what do you think of the Spurs for a starting eleven? I, I, when I saw it, I watched another game. I, I was watching Manhunt the Unabomber. Um, <laughs> but I, when I saw the starting eleven, at least it looked. I, I was surprised with how. It was, I mean, it wasn't full strength, but it was. Well, I mean, put it this way: you certainly watched more firepower than I did. <laughs> oh. We got uh, well. We had Lorente up front, who you know, as we've discussed in previous pods, is kind That's of a slip a, there. We. Sorry? <laughs> said oh, we? Yeah, we, yeah, we saw Lorente up front. Oh, right, okay. Um, and then Sissoko and Son uh, behind him. Good enough to beat Rochdale. Yeah, yeah, good enough to beat Roch- Rochdale. Uh, we had you know, Juan Yammer and Juan Foyth, the, the cup specialist Juan Foyth. Uh, and, but obviously no Ericsson, no Deli Ali until later, mm. no Harry Kane until later. And I think what, what, we saw, what we saw again, what we saw again, uh, is that Spurs, without their most creative players, are, are really just a very average football team. So, beyond the you know the, the result, because you've got to assume that they're probably going to do the job at Wembley. Yeah. Um, the well, draw- interesting that he kind of brings on the lads. Just, oh, I can't be, I can't be on a, can't be having a replay, and he's got one. Yeah. Well, they've got a lot of games coming up, hmm. haven't they? They've got about about two days rest or something in that period. Um, the other 
games. There's one cup game remaining this weekend, I guess, which is uh, Wigan against Manchester City tonight. Which, as much as you know, we've seen Wigan get surprising FA Cup results against Man City in the past. I do fear that we're going to see City yeah. absolutely wallop them, even though they're top of League One. The quarterfinal draw is already done, which was weird. Do you not think that? Yeah, I yeah, two days before like the final games. Killing it. Yeah. <laughs> game's gone. Game. The game has gone. Leicester will face Chelsea. Think of the children. Manchester United face Brighton in a, uh, a repeat of one of it's one of Brighton's most famous games. Uh, obviously, a defeat. Yeah, and, and Smith will score. Um, Helicopter. Uh, what's the other? What are the other games? We've got Leicester at Chelsea, Man United versus Brighton, Sheffield Wednesday, likely to host Tottenham, and then there's a fourth one that I can't work out. Man, it'll be Wigan, Man City. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's um, the winners of Rochdale Tottenham will travel to Sheffield Wednesday or Swansea. Mm-hmm. Probably Swansea. Yeah. Wigan or Man City will host Southampton. So basically, after that was quite. This is quite a bad round, I think, in general. Bar the, the Spurs upset or Rochdale Spurs is great. Almost, almost okay. You know, you know what I mean. Like yeah, beyond yeah. that, and yet a code for the second season in a row set up a pretty uh, a semi-finals that kind of gets people. Well, this is good FA Cup. Well, I mean, the quarterfinals. Assuming the quarterfinals are the all Premier League ties, mm-hmm. which we which we would guess. You know, like Man City Southampton. You see Man City going through there. Rochdale Spurs. You see Spurs beating Sheffield Wednesday or Swansea. Chelsea versus Leicester. Man United versus Brighton. United we could have Chelsea, Man United, Man City, yeah. and Spurs as the final four, yeah. which you know again does make things interesting because what always happens is you get to that FA Cup semi-final sort of time of the season, and there are managers who are under pressure because maybe their the title challenge has fallen off, or they're struggling for the top four, or you know the fact that they're in the Champions League still means that they're kind of worried about their league form and how do they juggle all these these competitions. So it might be interesting. Um, I thought this weekend really failed to capture the imagination of a lot of people. Well, you're going to have to go you're going to have to go some to top last year which was probably one of the the all-time great FA Cups in in the modern era because you had shocks all the way through. Um yeah, you know, who can forget Sutton in the 5th round, Lincoln in the 6th round, but mm-hmm. then you, mm-hmm. you know, unlike in 07 where you had lots of shocks and then West Brom against Portsmouth in the in, in the final. Oh, eight, oh, eight. Uh oh. you actually then had four Portsmouth Cardiff. Portsmouth yeah. Cardiff, sorry. Uh oh, 07 yeah. was actually United Chelsea. Uh, Sorry, eight oh eight. There was a way, yeah. No, the time on that. <laughs> uh, and but then you had four, you know, decent teams in in the semi-finals, and it, it's looking like you're getting the four decent teams this year, or or you should do, but without the shocks, obviously, on the way there. Even if you got someone like Southampton or or an informed Swansea in there, I don't think it's the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, even if it was just kind of like three of the big boys and a club that really wants to win the FA Cup, like, like it would really be good for their recent history to win it, which. Maybe isn't as true of Leicester as others because they obviously had the greatest shock of all time just two years ago. Well, Sam Lovett recently wrote a piece for us about how the FA Cup is actually important to Leicester this season because they're essentially they're, you've got in the Premier League you've got the top six who mm. are unto themselves, the bottom eleven, which are a blob, mm. the Fatberg, and then you've got that kind of middle tier about three four teams. Mm. That's the real mid table now is kind of seventh to ninth, about three four teams, Everton. Southampton, uh, Southampton should be on there. They are mm. not. Everton, Leicester, Burnley, and Burnley at the moment. Um, Leicester want to qualify, obviously, for Europe through the league if they can. Mm. But if they can win an FA Cup and qualify for Europe, or you know, get to a cup final, finish seventh, that is, for them is a very strong building season because they're removing themselves from that relegation group. Which is, I get, uh, you know, it's interesting that basically winning the Premier League, which was one of the great all-time 
achievements in uh, maybe that's a BFR. It was one of the great modern era sporting achievements doing what they did in Leicester. It's basically moved them from a bottom half club to being a kind of seventh to ninth mm-hmm. position club for now. And we'll be interesting to see if there are any longer lasting impacts than that. Um, but yeah, he he thinks Leicester really want to go out and win this. So it's tough for them, but Leicester, Chelsea, Chelsea might be out of form. They yeah. might be tired having played Chelsea, uh, Barcelona twice in, in two weeks. Um, it's hard to say, I guess, you know, we haven't had the press conferences yet, but what are you expecting from Chelsea Barca tomorrow? I think it's going to be tighter than people expect and partially because... Do you think people expect it to be? What do you? What well, you? Well, because of those two, because of that, basically week where Chelsea lost two games against kind of bottom half clubs by three goals, um, and Barca, who have been are unbeaten in the league and Champions League, you would think, okay, this this actually could be a bit of formality. But well, a you have this this whole you know phenomenon of the Champions League where form can be eroded somewhat, and Chelsea are the kind of greatest proof of that from twenty twelve. And also, I think it'll be one of those games where, it'll, it, in, the, in a lot of these league games, Chelsea have to come out and play, and they have a, their squad isn't great at the moment. Whereas I think they'll sit back, keep like, and hit Barca on the counter. I, I, I think it's going to be a really tight game. I think Barcelona haven't quite fired the way they did before mm. the winter break. I think, I mean, I think they've won. They, they've kept winning, but they haven't really destroyed teams. They haven't really set it alight. I think it's been one nils and two nils. Very constrained. I'm interested to see the general English audience seeing this Barcelona team on the big stage for probably the first time mm. under Valverde because this is not perhaps, you know, you might guess from their record from the amount of games they're winning and how far ahead they are in La Liga that this is an all-conquering Barcelona mm-hmm. side. This is a far more functional and less glitzy team. Yeah. 4-4-2, right? They play yeah, 4-4-2. Yeah, than, than any Barcelona team of the last... I can't even... I mean... Gerardo Martino's reign uh, was probably harshly judged, but I think apart they, they from that, apart from that, they played some really good stuff over the last ten, fifteen yeah. years. You know, virtually non-stop. Valverde is a far more functional guy. Um, it's been one of probably the most important things that he's brought to that team. Is it's kind of there is this consistency. Well, like, I mean, and to be fair to him as well, you kind of can't blame him for any sort of maybe any negative perceptions of style because he was walking into was pretty what looked the most difficult job in Europe at that point. He's already he's already well overachieved, I yeah. think, based on I mean the expectations in the summer were just poles apart from well, what we're seeing now. They couldn't buy anyone. Neymar was gone. In fact the player one of the players they did buy was Paulinho, who just laughed at. Um it was just it was such a they had the messy contract situation. Madrid were had a what was seen at that point as kind of maybe the most amazing squad ever put together in football. Having gone for three Champions Leagues, having finally won the league again. And they battered them in the Super Cup. I mean, it, it looked like this is yeah, going to yeah. be. Well, it, even though they are functional, they do still have those players who can turn a one nil into a four five nil. Yeah, you know, yeah, Messi yeah. obviously is that guy. Um, but Suarez has started to find his form again. He looked plump. He did in the in the autumn, September October. He looked like puffy, um, but he's looking a bit better. They've he's shipped out a, a lot of the guys like Arda Turan who were. I mean, that what a dreadful, dreadful signing he turned out to be. But, you know, a guy who said he was happy to sign for Barcelona because he'd have to run less than he did at Atletico <laughs> was like a bad sign when yeah. he said that. And it, his reputation could not have fallen further from signing to leaving that club. Yeah. Even, did you cover any Turkey at the Euros? No. He was getting booed by the Turkish fans. Um, 
you know, like he was a hero there and now he's kind of like a joke figure, really, unfortunately. I mean, very rich, but a joke figure nonetheless. They've got Andre Gomez, who's been a disastrous signing, but I feel like can be rehabilitated yeah, yeah. by Valverde. They're tying down some players. Like they look like they were going to lose Sergio Roberto to Chelsea for virtually nothing, and now they've got him on a new contract. They're starting to turn the corner, Barcelona, and become semi-functional again yeah, as a club, yeah. which is really important. And I think that started with the manager, um, which is a really important thing for them. But Chelsea, Johnny, they're kind of up and down. But I still think like, on their day, they could, beat, they could beat anyone if they have a really good day, and, and even this Barcelona team. Oh, yeah. And as we saw uh, at the Euros, you know, Conte is, is yep. exceptionally good at, at producing a, a one-off tactical plan that, that, that can nullify Barcelona. And, and they, you know, we were, at, we were both at the, um, Big the, game. The, the FA Cup game at Hull on Friday night, and there were, there were signs that they're basically coming to life, that they've kind of reached, they'd hit their trough, yeah, and maybe you know it's just the prelude to a to a bigger trough. But at the moment, they are they are um, they're functioning, and you know as they come up to you know as they come up to a Barcelona game, functioning will will, will just about be enough. Wh- which of their handsome strikers do you think they'll play up front, if either of them, Rada or Giroud? Well, I, th- I think Giroud is. If he starts, Giroud is nailed on for a 20-second minute sending off. I'd, 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 um, <laughs> I would uh, I would say that. I, th- I think he. Uh, uh, he, against <laughs> against Barcelona against a Spanish team, I, I think he play Morata. That is is curious logic. I know Morata Murata should be better on the counter attack, but he, he just doesn't seem to trust Morata at the moment. Do you not think you know against the sort of shape that Barca play, which is a hybrid of a four four two, but kind of is a four four two. Chelsea's shape works perfectly against that because you can match man mm. for man in midfield. You've got three up against their four at the back, and you've got a spare man in the middle. I'm, I think it works out quite nicely, mm. and I, and I do think that on his day, like that that Conte performance at the Belgium at the start of the Euros, yeah, where he he played three four three, but the the wing backs were so high, mm-hmm. they completely pinned back the opposition. I just wonder if it might be something like that. If you can pin back Jordi Alba and the Barcelona player, which really does function a lot with the triangles down the the flanks, as mm. I know Messi creates a lot of damage through the middle in Yester and stuff, but. It is down the flanks with players like Jordi Alba where they really stretch the field and make it work. I I do have a thing that Conte might come up with a perfect plan for this. I think it's a really well-balanced, well-poised game because this season the Premier League is, I think, of a higher standard than La Liga. And Mm. we've not been able to say that probably for how many years? Ten. Even then, that that, that was when, like... All right, the English teams were getting regularly to the kind of last four Champions League, but like Sevilla were mopping up in the UEFA Cup. It was still kind of. I think. I think Spain's performances in Europe are still better than England's overall, despite that. They, they just persist a delusion, um, you know, and, and everyone's got vested interest and stuff. Hmm. Um, but when you really watch like the top of that league regularly, I mean, over the last few seasons, like that Villarreal season under Marcelino, Villarreal, if they'd been in the Premier League that year, would have been in the top four hmm. of the Premier League for sure. You know, because there are some really good coach teams. Like Atletico Madrid, would they have won the Premier League had they been in there when Simeone's team was at its prime? Mm. I think absolutely. Because they were an elite level defensive unit where you yeah. just couldn't score against them and they won every game 1-0. So I think this year you can you can say definitively that teams at the top of this Premier League are really, really, really good. And the way that you know Spurs dealt with Real Madrid, I think that the way that the English teams have dealt with Spanish clubs throughout this tournament... You can say that Chelsea-Barcelona is actually fairly evenly matched, even though Barca are, what, seven points clear of Atletico? Yeah, 
I mean, Atletico are hunting them down. And Atletico well, what was, really it was side. 13 recently, wasn't it? Or but, yeah, but it, it's, it's been cut down. Atletico, I think, are the only team that could challenge Barca mm. this season. But Atletico, of course, are out of the Champions League. They're playing um, Copenhagen in the Europa League. So a lot less pressure on, on them mm. in the midweeks, and they can focus on probably hunting down Barca. If Barca also, go, also, go long... The weird thing about Atletico, they've won the Europa League twice in recent years. So like it's, it's not like... Ooh, it'd, be, it'd be nice to win it this that year. is not the prize for them having gone yeah. so close I mean they were what 90 seconds away yeah, exactly, from winning the yeah. Champions League in Milan um, was that Lisbon? that was Lisbon Lisbon heartbreaking stuff um, the other game this week Johnny you're going to be at Manchester United versus Sevilla yes yeah in Seville and how are you how are you seeing that one? well I think uh, it's like, like Miguel wrote last week there was, there was a number of teams for which the Champions League is kind of shit or bust and uh, United are probably one of those. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of team they put out. It'll be interesting to see uh, how they play. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. What odds would you give me, Miguel, um, from yourself, obviously not from a, a bookmaker sponsor because no one's sponsored us yet. Uh, <laughs> what odds would you give me on Scott McTominay starting ahead of Pogba in the big Champions League game? Ooh. Three to one. I mean, it's like... It feels like a big Jose move, doesn't it? Just pull that number off the top of my head, to be honest. It feels like a big Jose move. I don't think he'll do it, but it's just the... Well, especially the, now the, he's, he's... The amount of praise he's coming out with. He's actually, because he went so strong in the Pogba situation on Friday, he's actually put himself under pressure now to prove that there's no issue here. Because he can't just keep... If, say, if, if Pogba is dropped again, or, well, or, sorry, he doesn't start for the first time, then... You can't keep explaining this away indefinitely. I mean, there's clearly, like, it, it, it's obvious to anyone there's an issue. Yeah, and it was interesting how hard he did go. Um, you know, the, the report from Le Keep, now, you ha- obviously, we have to assume here that uh, Le Keep are going to know some people around Paul mm. Pogba, you know, and it could be, it could be anyone. It could be yeah. brothers, could be family, could be whatever. But they're going to know some people who have an insight into Paul Pogba's thinking. Um, and that's why Hugo Delon's story for L'Equipe probably caused so many ripples. Mm. Um, you know, there were there were some other like English language reports, but I think the one coming from L'Equipe, Mourinho is you know Mourinho speaks French and he's very switched on to the whole mm. the, the the French media and stuff. But he really reacted very strongly. Now, do you think might that might come down to the fact that he thinks that if there was a power struggle between him and Pogba, that he might lose? Mm. Or do you think, oh, he, oh, do you oh, think oh, he's oh, got oh, the upper hand in that? I wouldn't go that far, yeah, especially he's just signed a new contract. So, I know if you were really conspiratorial, you'd say it's interesting that he dropped Pogba straight after he signed the new contract. But, but I actually, I, I don't agree with that because, like, I mean, this, this wasn't something that had really been an issue up until the last few weeks. Right? There was a whole debate over getting the best out of Pogba, but even still, it, it wasn't something that would kind of manifest itself as, um, as well, not darkly, but as, as as big as this. So I, I don't, I don't really buy it in that sense. Um, I, I mean, my 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 reading of it is that if the story was wrong, if there was nothing in it, you just let it go. The fact that he has reacted like this suggests mm. to me that it may be right, and yeah. that's why he reacted to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you know, it, it does go away with a couple of good pop-up performances. You know, in, in fact, he's probably going to be insufferable after a, a really yeah, good pop-up yeah, performance. Yeah. But um, that does bring me on to uh, competition time. Manchester United severe this week. Uh, Sevilla have their kits made by our friends at New Balance um, and uh, kindly donated by New Balance we have a Sevilla shirt from Martin Grit no less uh, from, yeah from Grit's last uh, last week's a very popular uh, guest on the podcast so 
We will be giving away this Sevilla shirt, from, but gifted by New Balance uh, with Sevilla Man United on the horizon. And uh, all you need to do is make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. Go in on iTunes and rate and review the podcast. Now, you don't have to give it five stars if you don't want to. Like, <laughs> If you want to win the, if the shirt. The algorithm suggests to me uh, <laughs> that if you give five stars, you've got a much, much better chance of winning the shirt. But this shirt has to go. It's just sat on my desk at the moment. And um, any, any criticism of anyone on the podcast, either, I, I mean, well, the algorithm also suggests that. Uh, you know, like, I'm going to have to trawl through these reviews. So if you make <laughs> them funny, you've also got a better chance of winning it. Um, so, yeah, one of you, I mean, and let's be honest, like, say, like, 30 people even bother to do this. You've got one in 30 chance of winning a severe shirt for no reason. So get in there, get the review in, get the rating, whatever that might be. And um, a severe shirt could be coming your way. I mean, like optional, you can have a picture of Miguel signed with it. Um, you know, if that's what, if that's what you want to go. What uh, size is it? It's a, a one size fits all, probably. Got to get medium or large, but you know, that's what people want these days. Yeah. Um, so yeah get in there and uh, that shirt could be yours um we wanted to talk miguel um a little bit about last week's champions league yeah. game which we wouldn't usually do if there's loads of good premier league games but there wasn't it was a couple of fa cup stuff and and that's it so you were at um the disap- do you think it's fair to say it was the dis- most disappointing game considering the yeah. build-up and we really thought this was going to be like spectacular and unfortunately jonathan wilson um did write a good piece about it for the Guardian. Um, sickening that, isn't it? Yeah, sickening when he comes up with it, uh, comes up with the goods for once. Um, <laughs> he did write a nice piece about how it, you know, the kind of Disney game with all the superstars yeah. and the showbiz and the razzmatazz and stuff didn't really live up to expectations in terms of entertainment and stuff. And you're still left with that familiar ending. Yeah. That was it, yeah. It just. Uh, just a sense of inevitability about it all. Like, I mean,. PSG caving, Real again winning, and Ronaldo having done absolutely nothing, <laughs> scoring. Astonishing how poor Ronaldo. Like he was really, but until you, until you, like. But you, I was even thinking during the game, like uh, I suppose when we were at those matches, just for the benefit of readers, first um, because of our syndication deals, uh, and we kind of time of the games, you have to do kind of takes, and at half time. So I have to, I have to send like a, a take for yeah. a normal person is uh, because the game is going uh, to be published close to a newspaper deadline. You have to publish everything. Uh, you have to um, write so the match report yeah. as you go. Yeah. So there so, are chunks so, so, sent. So, so, so half time, game. I had to send four hundred words, and I was thinking, will I criticize Ronaldo here? And I think, I, if I if I do, this will look just look ridiculous because he'll do something. Um, and then of course he got a penalty shortly before half time, and scored the winning goal. But. Uh, when you've watched enough Real Madrid, like you get used to going to the Bernabeu and thinking they are not playing well at the moment, mm. but they might just get something out of this. And they go down early on. Um, Rabiot's goal. I thought early on, Neymar looked sharp. Yeah. You know, he looked. He did look genuinely to be troubling them a lot. I thought Marcelo was basically Real Madrid's best attacking player yeah, from yeah, left back. He, yeah. he he makes the difference um, and the overload. And then. They get one goal back, and you feel it coming. And then when Ronaldo's essentially winner goes in, when it literally hits him, you know, <laughs> and he's not even—he doesn't even swing his leg before. He doesn't even move his leg towards the ball. It hits the the thigh, yeah. and he celebrates as if he's like, you know, pinpointed it into the top <laughs> corner from the thirty. And then uh, Marcelo gets uh, the late goal, which was uh, you know, a really dreadfully poor goal. Mm. And the funny thing is that of these two coaches, we we spoke before about this game. 
Unai Emery is a guy who's got a, a long record of winning knockout t- competitions. He mm. won what three back-to-back Europa League, yeah. Sevilla, um, etc. Zidane is a guy who we think you know. Like I say, goes more on. Intu- I read a good profile about him in El Pais, was it or El Mundo when they're talking about. He goes on intuition. Yeah, like he is. They said he is a genius. A clap your hands, man. Yeah, he's like he's losing. He's losing that dressing room a bit. Because mm. oh, people like well, Ramos, one of the key figures in the dressing room, absolutely loves him. But uh, you know, he he does. He's always had that. Mm. Empathy is what they said, you know, that like he makes them happier. But you do wonder, like, oh, does he know what he's doing, sort of thing. But when it comes down to it, in that big game, substitutions, he throws on Asensio, mm-hmm. who's absolutely crucial for those two late goals, which yeah. have completely changed the, well, yeah, the tie. I, I, yeah, yeah. And Emery said, you know, he's I brought he brought on Thomas Munier to play right back. Both of those goals came from Munier's side, mm. and he he would say that he thought Munier played well, but that but flipped the tie. Even before the match, right? I was we were saying that we went to the pressers. Zidane looks surprisingly relaxed. And Emery, he reminded me of David Moyes at Manchester United in the sense that, like, you know, he just, he was uncomfortable to glare him to say, anytime, inevitably, the 6-1 came up so much in the question. And he just didn't deal with it. Oh, this is an opportunity for us. Which, again, was very Moyesian. Uh, and he, he just looked kind of anxious about it. And I think his, his team selection reflected that. I mean, even the weird the, the weird decision with uh, Lo Celso and, and, and Silva, um, and 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 then and the way he arranged the defence for a different manager in a different context, you go, oh, wow, that that's that's assertive, that's brave. In this, it felt like it felt the opposite. It felt like just kind of a, a panic decision because he didn't really know what he was doing. It's a totally different mentality managing a club like that. Yeah, you know, once once you take a job like PSG, you kind of have to accustom yourself to the fact that you will never get praised again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you are you, you will be you know, as as um you know as Rabiot say, it's all right beating teams like Dijon eight nil. Mm. You still won't get the praise. Um, and I think Zidane, for all his, his faults that have been evident this season, is, I think, a lot more comfortable in that sort of role. Emery, mm. you know, whether he was at Valencia, whether he was at Sevilla, he was always almost sort of pushing upwards. Yeah, as it yeah, were. yeah. Uh, you know, he had a team that, that he, could, he could set against something. Uh, and, and here, you know, he, he is basically the manager everybody else in that league, you know, in a lot of Europe is setting themselves mm. against. And that's a totally different mentality. Even Sevilla... You know, a big club, but yeah, you're always an underdog because you're up against two of the biggest, richest clubs in the world. There is a little bit of a Rafa at Madrid feeling about Emery at PSG because so he's, a, he's not even as spiky as Rafa. Like no, Ra- Rafa stands up for himself more than you feel it. But the, pro- the problem with Rafa was, you know, he couldn't come to terms with like, you know, for him, he watches a game and they beat Las Palmas three 0 and it was a perfect technical performance. They didn't give away one good chance and they won three 0 and people are asking why it was only three, hmm. and that would. And he would, you could see him, his mind melting at this because <laughs> he thought that was the perfect football performance. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, uh, the way it ended was so bad. And, and I think with Emery, it's difficult for him because probably this round of 16 game, when you put, take into account all the story lines that kind of mm. build up on that Real Madrid PSG tie, which he wrote about extensively before the first leg, this game for him is probably you could argue, bigger than any of the Europa League finals or whatever yeah, that, yeah. That, that he led his team to victory in, which must feel awful for him because, you know, he's winning genuine silverware with, with a team and doing it back to back to back, which is incredibly difficult to do. But this felt like this was a huge, huge game with like the immense pressure mm. on it. And Zidane always has this, he just beams tranquility. If you're in the same room as him, it's sort of a very calming experience. Like you sat with the Oracle, <laughs> and everything's just like a, a calming presence. The Oracle who only speaks in Champions League weekly uh, sentences. Yeah. Oh, he, uh, that was Miguel dropping a cricket ball. Don't ask why. Um, 
and yeah, no, it's true. Like he never says anything interesting. He never says anything interesting. It will be a dream, Zidane. But he is a very calm character. And when it came down to it, he made a key substitution that benefited his team. And Emery did the opposite. I, I, I you're well, going to the re- return leg, right? Yeah, yeah, in Paris. Well, it, well, Zidane did say something interesting at the weekend. I don't no, know I, I, I refuse to believe it. I don't know if you saw this, but basically he said he was. He said he was tired. He said he was exhausted, mm. fatigued, and that uh, you know I, I'm just trying to get to the end of the season and then beyond that, who knows? I there mean, were whispers that he could go at the end yeah, of the season. Yeah, I, I, I was talking to someone about this subject last night. He says he basically he doesn't really, unlike other managers, other figures in football like that, that he like it's no great a burning desire to be a manager. He does Real Madrid because he enjoys it. He wants to be French manager and then doesn't want to do anything else, and that, that, that that's it. Like so, well, I mean, I mean give up, go. He bought Cyclist Biker. He bought the game from the shop and he'd completed it before his mum got home. Basically, <laughs> you know, he's won the Champions League in his first season. He's won it again the year after. He's won La Liga. You do, you know, except for unless he had a real burning desire to take over at Marseille or Monaco or or somewhere that meant a lot to yeah. him. Juve, I don't really see it. Doesn't seem to be the same connection with Juve. No, I mean, I. I do wonder if he'll just kind of pack it that's, at some that's, point. That's, that's, that's what someone in Spain said to me exactly. Like, Real Madrid, uh, France, nothing else. Real Madrid, France, yeah, y punto. That's it, full stop. In all my time watching football, I've never seen anyone less perturbed by the idea of being Real Madrid manager. It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. he's Real Madrid manager now and he quite enjoys it and afterwards he might go and make a sandwich. That, <laughs> that's about it. But uh, it was an interesting thing that was brought up when he, when he did take them to the... Uh, that was the undecimal, wasn't it? Yeah. The one where he was in charge. Well, I, I, I was thinking of myself even last week going to the game of, I've actually lost count. What are they on now? So he was 12, he yeah. was a player for their ninth Champions League yeah. win, assistant for their 10th, and then manager for their 11th. What would what would <laughs> phase you after that? What would phase you yeah. after that? And, and he is just this eminently calm personality from the first day he was hired. You know, like almost robotic, actually. Mm. Not, robotic, not robotic in the oh, bad way that you, you kind of uh, usually associate. 2014 and where it's, I can't specifically remember the example, but Mourinho's trying to get them to play a certain defensive way or something like that. And yeah, he, he, he invites Zidane to say something. And Zidane, you know, in a show of real, real kind of assertiveness, kind of, 
like, and real balls in it because he just goes completely against what Mourinho said. You're Real Madrid. We play to win, or, or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing there, but um, well, yeah. it, it's it's something that I guess always came naturally to him as a player. Like mm. you know, think of the era that he was there, the players were around, and they did you know they did win stuff, and and he was a, a key part of it. I think that the way he hung on was it shows probably a smarter political side than people think because a lot of the time he does seem like a, a simple, straightforward sort of, I'm the coach now. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. First I was a player, then I was assistant, now I'm the coach. It is a dream. Yeah, I, I'm very happy. I'm very content. Mm. But there is probably you know more to him deep down because mm. you can't survive that long in a club like Madrid unless he is literally the intocable that they talk about. You mm. know, he's the untouchable that nothing can ever happen to. But we know that there were discussions about sacking him as second team manager, like as far yeah, yeah. Uh, you know as far back as what November twenty fourteen, fifteen, oh, 15 it would have been. So we know he's not untouchable. So he must have some sort of political nous to yeah. keep him in this very strong position there. Also, it seems like Perez. I mean, it's a bit like the, fig, the figures define Madrid and define and Perez's era and things like that. It feels like Perez is more predisposed. Or he basically, he likes Zidane more than he likes Cristiano. He, you know, he, yes. did, he did actually sign Zidane, even though he'd like, he liked Right, it. but I mean, I think Cristiano has, has done that thing where he has worn out his welcome a bit because he's repeatedly thrown his toys out, the pram, almost like every year or every 18 months as a contract ploy, and he's trying to do it again mm. right now. And I think the club are now, like, they've been at the point before where it was pretty much on a knife edge, whether the club thought, actually, no, we don't need you. Mm. Uh, you know, we're too big, you know, we're, we're too big to be played like this. But this time, it feels like it's not even on a knife edge. Everyone knows mm. that he's not getting a new contract that's bigger because he can't justify it. Yeah. And those two goals go completely in the face of that, I know. The two goals to win the game against PSG. But this time, it just does feel like it's not working. And, and the Perez-Ronaldo relationship might be the one that breaks down mm. before any other. But how do you view that if... At the end of the season, it's kind of one goes or the other. I don't think you can lose Zidane or Zidane and Ronaldo. Well, unless they go on this kind of massive, I mean, we do we, they they do want to go to massive rebuilding, and I think we've discussed in the podcast before, and I've written a lot of European clubs have made aware that there's going to be there's players to be bought off Real this summer because they want to kind of fund a new project. And I say previously, I had been thinking that Pochettino was the wrong man to manage stars. Well, having been in Madrid last week and just talking to people about this. He could actually be perfect because obviously Madrid can't buy to the, the level they would traditionally be used to because of the way the market has changed. So maybe the idea is maybe to bring in two or three stars and then have these young pre twenty four year old players like you know Asensio, Kovacic, yeah, yeah, exactly, um, Casemiro, and who is perfect for that, for that sort of uh, for managing those sort of players? It's Pochettino. Oh, I think I think it'd be excellent for it. Mm. Um, the one thing that I, I think we do need to address is. If PSG do turn this round, you know, Real Madrid are famous for the remontadas, the big comebacks. What if, Johnny, PSG flip this on its head in Paris? You know, is that not going to be one of the most significant results in the history of that? Well, I mean, it's only, what, 48 years old, the club. But 1970 established, they've won leagues, they've won cups. If they turned over Real Madrid in this moment and got into the last eight, then PSG are going to believe that they can win it. Oh, they will. It could be galvanising for them. What yeah. I would say is that 
the mental frailties that, that we saw in the first leg don't go away, even if they make a comeback. I mean, if you remember Barcelona and the 6-1 last season, everybody was saying, but, well, well, you know, they'll go and win it now. But did, they're still not a good football team. Do did, did, did you not think if they do... Um, achieve this comeback Paris Saint-Germain that because of what that represents it's not just coming back in a tie and beating a club like Real Madrid the nature of how they would come back would have almost it would press exercising re- re- demons yeah, that, yeah. exactly yeah, all, all the six ones I mean we've done the opposite of that like I mean the kind of the intangible belief, intangible belief that a, that a team does to get from that, and it does kind of foster that idea. Hang on, now now we are invincible. It kind of does have a tangible effect on how and how kind of they they play because of what it brings and kind of the intensity, the performance, the assertiveness. But yeah, I mean, it, it certainly lays things like last season, and, and it lays you know that that three one last week to, to rest. But I mean, I th- if it comes if it comes down to a straight footballing game, I think you know PSG would. Would quite would quite like that because mm. they played some of the best football in the, in the in the first leg. And if you could actually, if you could marry the <laughs> the footballing ability of of PSG with the mentality of, of Real Madrid, you'd probably have yeah. the ultimate club. But I, I I mean I don't think we saw in that first leg for different reasons. Uh, you know, a, a team that is yet capable of, of winning the yeah. tournament. No, no, I, I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll achieve the comeback. Yet. Having gone with that excessively. Possibly they went for the ball playing midfield mm. or, uh, rather than playing Masana Diera or any sort of notional destroyer, um, and they paid the price for it. Lo Celso is, is I've told you before, a brilliant young player, but was horribly exposed at a mm. position he's not natural at. Get, ends up giving away the penalty, probably could have been sent off. But then for the return leg, you need to have exactly, yeah. the ownership of the ball. You need to dominate proceedings. So you need Mbappe to step up. He mm. had a very quiet first leg. Is that fair? I thought, I, I thought Neymar. I thought Neymar was. I thought Neymar was good, but things just didn't come off for him. Yeah, Maybe he, he was he, trying he, a little he's hard. Also, it kind of summed up a little bit what Neymar is becoming at Real. I probably I mean, yes, it's all brilliant, but there's no discipline to it. It's all just well, I'm going to do what I want now, and it, it's. A little, a there's little, no structure it, 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 in, yeah. in terms of performance. Just a bit. It's a bit flabby, basically. In terms of like, he's just let's, let's make this more cutting edge. Yeah. Cavani is Cavani as well. Yeah, and and the difference between him and Ronaldo, who who is also kind of indisciplined, but in the sense that you know where he's going to be, he's, yeah, where, yeah. he's where you left him ten minutes ago. Yeah. He's not moved. <laughs> Whereas Neymar, you don't quite know what he's going to do, and and sometimes you sense neither do his teammates. Mm. There was one game I was at, and I think it was someone like Real Betis, if not Real Betis themselves. Cristiano Ronaldo does that thing exactly what you said. Like he's so lazy, basically. I think his body language stinks. Uh, he does not fight back for the ball at any time. He's waiting for the ball to come to him so he can score, etc., etc. But there's one game where Benzema, Bale, and someone else had scored. And in the 91st minute, he chased back a fullback and put in a sliding tackle to win the ball back. And it's purely always because he wants to score. So he, And he turns with the ball, drives towards goal, shoots, hits the crossbar, ball goes over, everyone turns around, carries on, and he loses his mind. And watching against PSG, <laughs> when he lost his mind, when that ball literally hit his thigh, it's like he... I know it's his greatest gift, but it's one of those things as well that I like. I just kind of can't, can't stand it. He just only only cares about himself. But that's interesting because did you watch Wayne Rooney on um, MNF about two weeks ago? I did not. But I, I heard he was good. But he made that good point basically when he when he was coming when he first signed United and it was he had Vinistroy and Ronaldo there. Vinistroy was the sort of character. That, in fact, because he initially been asked about Ronaldo and said, "Well, Ronaldo wasn't really a goal getter at that time. It was just he wasn't that sort of player." It was Vinistroy who was. If he, no matter if they won 4-1 and he hadn't scored, he would be disgusted. He'd be angry in the dressing room. 
and Ronaldo clearly wasn't like that then, but he's actually probably become that now more than Vinistroy, like which is quite interesting because I mean it wasn't quite an inherent trait, maybe, but it's something that he's just developed and become obsessive about. You don't you don't necessarily associate Vinistroy with being kind of a bad angry sort mm. of loser guy. I more associate him with Martin Keown bouncing in his yeah, face. Yeah. Um the other way around. I guess we should also mention the other big game from last week, Tottenham Juventus. I, actually just before we leave Neymar, what did you on. think of Diego Torres piece? The second time we were praising Diego Torres in the um, but fair have, have you read it, Johnny? Diego Torres' piece no, on Neymar? No non Hablo Espanol. Uh it, how would you describe it, Miguel? It's it, <laughs> it was summed uh, up by the line uh, PSG are trying to defy a lot of uh, a lot of the kind of modern football and Neymar is trying to do becoming the best player in the world while essentially living out spring break. Yes. Um, it, it, <laughs> said, it, oh, it, right. A year-long summer vacation. It was a piece from well-respected, um, if somewhat occasionally controversial, journalist Diego Torres uh, of El País in Spain, who is, wrote the very good Jose Mourinho book, um, which at the time you know people denied a lot of the stuff that was in there, but a lot of it seems to have never any legal action. certainly come true and there was never any legal action. So um, you can pretty much trust what Diego is saying. And it, in his presumably well-sourced piece on Neymar and Neymar's lifestyle, it essentially showed Neymar is in Paris with he's got a bunch of friends I can't remember what they call yeah, it. Yeah, toys. I don't know how you pronounce that. He's got, he's got a lot of friends that live with him and basically the party stops when Neymar says so. And there was one instance where Unai Emery went to the party oh, yeah, and yeah. then he left. After the cake. He said, uh, after the cake was cut, I don't know if that's a euphemism or not. And, uh, the party did not end for three days and Neymar turned up to training straight from the party and it's it's fine because it's Neymar you know and, and they need him and obviously you know Neymar is getting paid through the nose to be PSG's star and as long as he puts eight pastiche on no one seems to care but it was you could say it was perfectly timed do you think Peace. yes <laughs> now, the from, night before PSG Real from Madrid from an editorial perspective it's the most obvious time to write the piece but you always save your big ideas for these big games yeah yeah uh, I mean, if uh, if you'd come to me with the exact same piece, we would have probably published it the, on the yeah the Monday lunchtime. Yeah. And when do they do it? Monday night. Yeah, I think uh, it's I think it's interesting because it's a problem that lots of Brazilian footballers have had. You know, it's not unique. To, Ronaldinho was you could argue Ronaldinho was far more gifted than Neymar, and he went down the same path where yeah. play they and it's and it is something deep in the psyche that they just want to party. They just don't want to have to work hard for this. Um, and I guess... Romario, now, Romario was actually like it as well. Well, it's, I mean, you know, it's not a new thing among mm. Brazilian footballers. I think it's actually... It's talked about in Alex Belos's book, um, Futebol. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that is going to... It's going to be a Neymar theme now, isn't it, for the rest yeah, of his career? Yeah. Because this piece is fairly damning and it's, it's quite comprehensive. I mean, one of Madrid's best-loved teams, the 82 team, was kind of filled with these almost philosophical figures that were very serious-minded about kind of society and they're very left-wing. Yeah. Um, Socrates, yeah. Zico. Yeah. Falcao. Falcao. Yeah, now you got... Toshdale before that, even in the... Thiago Silva getting benched for Presnel Kimbembe. Mm. And, uh, what well, I mean, he... Thiago Silva is one of the ones who's supposed to be very professional out of the Brazil squad. Mm. Um, but he's but been... Butler. But yeah, he's been cast aside because he's seen as not having the mental, the mental mm. strength. Um you got uh, actually uh, of the Brazilians based in London, a lot of them are incredibly kind of nose to the grindstone. But I guess it's something that comes from going to PSG is that you think that you can get away with 
the, these sorts of, I don't know, it's just a complete change in lifestyle and presumably Neymar can. It's just a worry because if you thought he was going to be the next Ballon d'Or guy and if he, turn, mm. if he does go down the Ronaldinho path rather than what he could have become, then it's just a shame. Yeah, yeah. I think because he, on his day, I've seen him outperform Messi. Like, mm. you know, he's been in... Well, like the PSG last year, the 6-1. You know, he's an incredible talent. So it would be a shame. Um, I do think that I'd like to read more from Diego on it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe before the second leg. Um, well, what, I, what I find interesting, and it was something we didn't get a chance to see in the press conference for, and when, when Neymar went to PSG, did he take the piss about, like, well, we beat you 6-1. This is a, well, what's a, I, I, I do wonder about the, the dressing room interactions around that. Well, the dynamic there, mm. and, and, and clearly the, the sense of... I mean, entitlement is a strong word, but it, it clearly is a sense of entitlement. And it's it's an issue that we're increasingly seeing in the modern game where these players are all-powerful. Mm. And, you know, the old adage, sorry, the adage that you are, you know, no player is bigger than the club clearly doesn't hold true. But, and it, that's actually, which brings us kind of neatly around to what we're talking about in terms of kind of the Pogba-Mourinho issue, but also in terms of, and it's, it's a point that Wilson made in that piece as well, this Disneyfication of football and just buying in stars. Whereas no matter how many times you do that, it still won't beat a proper managerial stroke. And, I mean, again, people will always discuss this as kind of, you know, giving Guardiola too much praise. But the whole idea at City now is kind of almost, and one of the reasons why Guardiola never was always reluctant to sign Messi while at City, or at least try to, it's about kind of getting these very good players, but players who want to be in the project, organised to become something greater than their whole, rather than kind of being um, subject to the whims of individuals. And this is probably where we get into Bayern Munich the Schickdass, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. Bayern Munich are, are a very good example of this. Well, the, the thing with, um, so if someone like PSG signs Neymar and he gets all these extra sponsorship deals because they're a Nike club or Nike, I, I never know how to pronounce that. He's a Nike player. All, you know, all, There's all these, all the synergies that mm. can happen, which can bring in a club like Pogba signing uh, for Manchester United was massive because, you know, he's an Adidas player. Mm. Uh, they did all the the Stormzy activation, as they call it. You know, there's all these things um, from marketing reasons, which you know, are too numerous to bore you with. There are loads of financial benefits to signing certain players, which mean that over the five, six, seven years that a player is at a club, you could make tens, perhaps like 100 million, 150 million pound more through through advertising and marketing which is massive absolutely huge mm. amounts of money like Neymar think how he's affecting PSG's marketing revenue worldwide mm. and, and merchandising and everything that comes with it he could like they're going to get more sponsors because of him he's going to make more money because they're going to sign like co-sponsorship deals there's all this sort of stuff so it does help the club financially over that period mm. but you have to balance it with the training ground stuff yeah you absolutely have to and I think Neymar is a player that helps you win these sorts of things but would they be better if him and Mbappe were like working out how to actually play together? There's an issue there. I mean, also, I was thinking of this with United and Pogba as well, in a sense that, well, more from the football perspective there. But I say with PSG, essentially Neymar has the fast track to entire reputation and um, profile around the world. Almost allowed them to become kind of like a Barca level media club uh, when before they've earned the right to. But the other thing with that, like, you still need the substance behind it. And like I say, we, we, we United as well, who are trying to. Who, who, are now such a hugely marketable asset, maybe, maybe the biggest in the world in that sense. But at what point then does that does that image you try and sell crash up against the reality, which is football that isn't great? Or well, where's the fan base though? I mean, you can accumulate. You probably can accumulate. Yeah, 
some more fans and, you, and you're going to take some from the you know Barney Rone did a piece probably about two years ago now it was very insightful about people follow brands uh, yeah. player brands well, that are as important as team brands also. club brands because 2014 was really the first World Cup of the individual in that sense I th- and I think it's I think it was very insightful it was very true you know if you look on Facebook even Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi have more likes mm. on their Facebook page than virtually any club I think I think any club in the world and you know like, I was talking to an eight-year-old cousin at a family thing recently and he was asking me who I thought was better Messi or Ronaldo and he was like well Messi's better on FIFA you know like he's a 97 and he's a 96 or whatever it is yeah. and it's like there is now this thing because I think and I think you know FIFA has been an in- the, the video game has been very interesting for football in general because a whole generation of kids have grown up playing this Im- Im- incredibly immersive mm. form of almost like this Disney-like football yeah. that we, you know, where you're trying to do all the, the skills and things that are like much better than the sort of crap we grew up playing. Like Sensible soccer, come on. Exactly, but you know, it's on a different level. Uh, when, you, when you get to know all these players in the world, like yeah. that we had to learn from like reading a book and stuff. I sound really old now. But <laughs> do you think there's anything in the, the fact that these player brands will make it easier for outsiders like, for example, like a Sevilla, when they won the Europa League, that's a team effort. Mm. And, and that's kind of... And Tottenham, I guess, are the best example of a team working as a team rather than yeah. focusing on the stars and stuff, whereas PSG is almost the, the polar opposite. Do you think um, if you're in an era where everything's becoming focused on the individual that we're going to see more teams kind of lose their balance or yeah i think i think it's a real i think it's a real phenomenon that football is is dealing with and i think it's partly driven by like you say computer games it's partly driven by basketball i think and this idea that one player can score 40 45 yeah, points yeah. And, and win a game on his own uh, social it, media i guess yeah and but it's also driven by the fact that we've had these two players in our in our current generation who have been able to win games on their own. And I think that if, if, if football goes on a search for whoever's going to be the next Messi or Ronaldo, and I think football as a, as a sport is a little bit more robust than, than basketball in the sense that it is still a team game. And when we see somebody like Paul Pogba, who is a, you know, essentially trying to carve out a one-man brand for himself and can't get in the team ahead of Scott McTominay. So <laughs> there is, a, you know, I th- there is a, a going to be a point at which the... Kind of almost the deification of football is does run against the fact that it, it is a team game, and I, I can't see football, even a sport you know that's evolving as fast as football, doing so quickly enough to to basically negate the fact that it is a team game. I guess I mean social media. I hadn't thought about, but they that is promoting individual brands fundamentally. You know, like and and there are players who clearly put a lot more effort into their social media and and probably get a lot more out of it in terms of of money at the other end for you know. Influencer marketing. I mean, here's the hypothetical question: if, if Messi goes to say PSG, how many fans does he take with him? I'm not sure he takes that many. Well, I guess it's the question you'd be looking at now is: if you go to Brazil, how many billboards have Neymar in a PSG shirt? How many kids do you see wandering the street in a knockoff PSG Neymar shirt? Um, because when James Rodriguez and Chicharito Hernandez signed for Real Madrid. Um, that year, the two biggest uh, countries visiting the Real Madrid website were Mexico and Colombia, more than Spain, more than the USA, more than anything. So there is, in it, there are in some instances, like, huge yeah. loyalties. But how sticky is it, is, is what I'm saying? 
Is I, it tied to, to think, one player? Or? I think it's a. I mean, it's a question. It's going to be impossible probably to quantify. But it's it's an interesting one because. You know, it's actually at some point probably a whole podcast after the season or something. Mm. We have to appreciate that when Messi and Ronaldo do go now, Messi is is clinging on to his talents for in a way that we probably never expected. Mm. Ronaldo still scored two but crucial me, goals me, me, the other me, day. Me, Messi's talents are more amenable to being as good as at his peak in a different position. But if you lose a little bit of explosiveness, you might have thought he could lose it. But he's still obviously mm. that good. After they're gone. We might have like the Great Depression of football, where you know it's like you lose two yeah. players that they've not just defined an era. You know, these are two of the greatest players of all time, and they're interesting for different reasons. They're interesting because Messi is uh, like a f- just ludicrously, phenomenally, phenomenally talented player. Like you can't really work out where it all came from. Mm. He's just that good. Cristiano Ronaldo has made himself into a goal-scoring cyborg. Um, and has broken new like numerous ridiculous goal scoring records that people never really thought would be broken. And you will look back at the season that Messi won the Ballon d'Or scoring what 60 goals in a season and whatever. Mm. Those numbers like when we were a kid it seemed like, yeah yeah Dean. Yeah yeah it just doesn't you know the, the, these numbers don't make sense and well, when I when I was growing up 1 and 2 was considered a good strike rate. Yeah and, and, and like, the top scorer in the prem like might sh- get 25 or yeah, 30. Yeah. Shearer was maybe a little bit of kind of uh, he went against it because he scored with 30 goals for season yeah. for three years ago. Andy row. Cole scored 40, I think, in, yeah. in 93, 4. In all comps. That, yeah, in all comps. And that was what? And that, the 42-game season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, season, yeah. So, I mean, so we're going to have, you know, if you assume that Harry Kane, like, so basically those two are extraterrestrials, as PK calls Messi, the extraterrestrial. He's not from this planet. Uh, those two, the next tier down, you've got Harry Kane, who yeah. scores how many goals a season? I know in all comps you might get 40 or, or 50, but in the Prem, he might, he's going to get... If it gets 30 35, that is almost like without Messi Ronaldo existing, he would be a generation defining sort of centre forward talent. Yeah. Um, So I do wonder where we're going to go when Messi Ronaldo just drop out the picture because there is no one, uh, you know, is is Neymar at PSG going to be the one that everyone looks to for the Ballon d'Or? If you're playing in that league, Dybala is an interesting one. Kane? Mbappe. But. Do you think there's going to be enough respect for PSG for a PSG player to win the Ballon d'Or? Not unless they win the Champions League. Not unless they win the Champions League. Yeah. Or, or, you know, World Cups yeah. are, mm-hmm. are a big factor as well. And Brazil, I mean, Brazil could easily win this World Cup. Yeah. They're probably the best coach team going into it. They've got all the talent in the world. Um, Actually, should I say that? I'm allowed to say that. What? I hope they don't win it. Why? I don't know. There's something about this Brazilian generation that leaves me. Also, I think there's so much waste in their football culture that for one manager to just take advantage of their, um, uh, for one manager to just take take advantage of their kind of the critical mass of talent they'll produce because their sheer size, they their football he might deserve it, but their football structure currently doesn't. No, I mean the entire country is a mess politically as well as uh, the football federation, and I mean most of them are going to end up in prison as well. From the looks of it, from the FIFA case. Um, but this is—I mean—we've got so far off topic. This is absolutely unbelievable. Always good. Always good. Um, do you see that they—they've scheduled a pre-World Cup friendly against Germany, to so that people, so that if they meet at the World Cup, mm-hmm. people aren't constantly talking about the seven-one. So, oh, well, oh. I think people yeah, are luck. still going to talk about yeah, the seven-one, yeah. even if you meet at the World Cup. Yeah, they're, they're just now going to do it twice. <laughs> Apparently, they originally wanted to do it in that September, straight after the World Cup. But it was too raw. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. too raw. So, yeah, now they they, they want to do it before the World Cup. Germany versus Brazil as a friendly. So no one talks about it. 
if they <laughs> if they were to, for example, meet in the semi-final. Uh, yeah, good luck with that one, guys. Um, Bayern Besiktas, we do want to preview it very briefly. <laughs> uh, Bayern kind of gone under the radar, a little bit quiet. Which Look, is a, there's a dangerous re- for people. A re-Deutschification going on there um, post-Pep. Isn't it funny how the kind of revisionists, you know, like especially the German press, have gone a little bit, a little bit sour on on Guardiola. I think they they're annoyed by the way that he just decided to to leave the club. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think, and also because he didn't he didn't get the Champions League there. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think they they assumed that he would win it yeah. while he was there, and there's a feeling that you don't turn your back on Bayern. You know, if you're in, from Germany. You don't turn your back on, yeah. on Bayern Munich. Like, who who turns their back on Bayern Munich? Who has done in previous years? I can't remember many players that have tried to force their way out, even or, or push you, you them get away. very few German players leaving there in their peak anyway. But actually, he did in the eight. Like this is always the weird thing with Bayern in that way. Like say in the eighties, they they always had this policy then of the they whoever who whichever club was in competition they'd buy the best German players around. But who Matthias left them to go into Milan, Klinsmann. I don't think he left. Actually, he actually went back to them. Um, no, but it's an awful point because I can't remember anyone more than Mateus. Right. <laughs> Another awful point from you. Uh, but uh, you know, they're signing Goretzka at the end of the yeah. season. All these players, they've got. You know, uh, it was a good interview with Hamas Rodriguez. I think it was in one of the Colombian papers uh, over the last week, where he was saying how much happier he is um, in a in a team that has structure and all that yeah. sort of stuff. You know, compared to Real Madrid, you can yeah. imagine. I mean, he was on the bench anyway, but he's a player of immense talent who could work out quite nicely there. Uh, assuming we assume they're going to get past Besiktas, right? I think so. Yeah. As much as as we like Besiktas uh, for the atmosphere and stuff Jack, they bring, Jack, Jack Book's favourite. You know he's a, a, a massive Besiktas boy. Um, so we assume they're going to go through. Uh, the other game on Wednesday night is uh, Shakhtar versus. Someone's going to help Roma. me here. Shakhtar versus Roma. Uh, the teams you want in the quarterfinals. Well. I've got nothing against Roma. They've got a couple of nice players. Yeah, they've fought since since qualifying for the since finishing top of Chelsea's group. Though they've had been in awful form. Yeah, no, I mean there are teams. That, it's a shame they're not in there. Atletico Madrid, Napoli, mm. most obvious ones, I guess. Well, Na- Napoli seem like as they're just going full gun for the league. I'd love Napoli to win Serie A. Um, but once again, I think we've gone way off topic. Johnny, uh, final thoughts? Anything, sporting or non, uh, you want to say before we go? Um. People who Instagram pictures of their food with the caption, get in my belly. I'd like them to go away, please. <laughs> okay. I thought it started off like a, a, a <laughs> sly shot at his boss, but it ended up okay. Uh, Miguel? <laughs> um, just got to go read more about the Unabomber now. The Unabomber. Ted, Ted Kaczynski. Um, I would like to say, uh, join us again next week. We've got big games this Sunday, uh, which we've dutifully not previewed. Um, okay. Arsenal versus Man City <laughs> League Cup final Manchester United versus Chelsea yeah. the clash of oh, what did Jose say a few weeks ago when it was all kicking off and he was like ah oh. no Conte was like I see him face to face in oh, yeah. February 25th whatever you obviously don't remember because you're looking at me like I'm an idiot <laughs> um, so yeah the big clash that uh, they tried to build up themselves um, is coming this Sunday two great games we'll review those next Monday in the meantime remember if you want to win that New Balance Sevilla shirt, which let's be honest, everyone does unless you're a Man United fan. Possibly some Man United fans. Go on iTunes, ratings, review. We'll work out um, from like the username or whatever how to get it to you. Uh, probably the funniest review wins. Um, 
we'll decide when we see them. But until then, uh, my name is Ed Manning. Thank you, Miguel, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny, for joining us. Thank you. And uh, thank you, producer Tom, who's who's not in the room. Thank you, producer Matt, who didn't come in today. And we'll see you all next week. Goodbye. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.